What wonderful singing and what a wonderful song. Be thou my vision. Open your Bibles to the book of Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. We began this remarkable book last week. And we are now studying Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah may have been one book written together. We're not sure, but we do know that the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are collections of other writings. Ezra has writings, probably uh, letters and journals and official records that are all combined, you will remember, because Ezra was a scribe and he gathered all of these collections together. So it is not clear how much of the book he wrote, although he did write some of it, but others he just gathered together. Today we have the section in Ezra chapter 3. But this story records the story of a nation punished by God for 70 years. You need to understand the entire story but I think many people struggle to understand the Old Testament. So watch up here and I'll give you a timeline across the front. Abraham was chosen by God to be the father of a great nation in the year 1991, historians believe. That would be 1,991 years before Jesus came to earth. Okay, roughly 2,000 years before Jesus, Abraham is called and he's told, you will have a great nation. 500 years later, we have Moses. Moses is one of Abraham's great, great grandchildren. Moses is given the law of God. No other country in the world is given the law of God. Moses says, here is God's laws. The rabbis have recorded 613, 613 laws in the Old Testament law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books were called the law or the Torah. They were given to Moses in that book, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and many other places, they were told, <clears throat> if you don't obey, how many laws? 613. If you don't obey those laws, then God will come and judge you. And the judgment will be, you will be taken out of your country. What is the name of their country? Israel. Or before they came into it, it was called Canaan. So you will be taken out of Canaan or taken out of Israel. So they were told before they even entered Israel, this will happen. Well, for 1,000, roughly 1,000, eight or 900 years from Moses until Ezra, the people of Israel disobeyed God's law. God sent them light. He sent them prophets like Elijah and Isaiah. He sent them very bold prophets like Amos. 
He sent them very nationalistic prophets like Jonah. These prophets said, turn, turn. And sometimes little groups within the country would repent. There were revivals under King David. And again, Jehoshaphat. And again, Hezekiah. And again, Josiah. There were revivals. But each time the revival would come, and then what would the people do? Fall backward. Now God has said, my time with you is over. And in the prophet Jeremiah, God prophesies just before Israel is taken away, around 620 BC. So do you remember? Abraham is 2000 BC. Moses is 1500 BC. Now, a thousand years later, 900 years later, Jeremiah prophesies. And in Jeremiah 29, verse 10, he says, The time is up. Your sin is too great. I'm taking you out of your nation. Jeremiah is the prophet who prophesies just at the end of the kingdom of Israel. And so in 607 BC, 607, that's an important year. You may want to put it in Ezra chapter one in your Bibles. 607 BC, the first group of the Jews is taken out of their land of Judah, of the southern kingdom of Judah. Why is 607 important? Because the 70 year clock begins at 607 BC. Jeremiah 29 verse 10 said they would be taken away for how long? Everyone tell me, how long would they be taken away? 70 years. And that clock begins in 607 BC. That's Jeremiah 29 verse 10. 70 years you're going to be taken away. It's in fulfillment of what chapter in the book of Deuteronomy? Uh, What chapter in the book of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy told them, if you don't listen, you're going to be taken out of your land. It tells them over and over. And 900 years later, they didn't listen. And God said, the clock is done. The time is done. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28 said it's going to happen. 900 years later, Jeremiah says, it's coming. And it came. That happened in 6.0. 7 BC. So for 70 years, they're taken out of their land. Wait, wait, wait. Watch up here. Watch up here. Where I'm standing now in front illustrates the year 607. You'll remember back here we started with who? Abraham around 2000, then Moses around 1500. 900 years later, we come to what prophet? Jeremiah, at what year? 607. And now they're, they're, they're gone. And the clock begins for 70 years. But when Babylon attacked Judah, Babylon attacked Judah over a 20-year period. So the first group was taken at what time? 607. And then the next group a few years later, and the next group a few years later, you can read all of this very simply. You can read everything I'm telling you about this section 
in the last chapter of the book of 2 Kings. Just go to the very last chapter. All of this, all the deportations, they're all listed right there. The last chapter of 2 Kings or the last chapter of 2 Chronicles, either way. In the last chapter of 2 Kings, it says the first group is taken away and then the second group and then the third group and finally the last group 20 years later in the year, important year, two, two years ago, remember, 607 and then 586, 20 years later, the last group was taken away. Why do I say you have to remember 586? Because at that time, the temple of Solomon was destroyed. That was promised too. It was all prophesied. Back here with Abraham and with Moses, God told them up front, obey my law. If you don't obey my law with your whole heart, I will crush you and it will be too heavy for you. I'm telling you, it came in 607 over a period of 20 Years And it ended in 586 with the temple being destroyed. 607, count off 70 years. You get to about 538. You might want to write in your Bible at the first page of the book of Ezra like I did. 538 BC. 538 The book of Ezra opens in 538 BC. 500 years before Jesus. 70 years after 607 BC. Does that make sense? And by the way, these dates are firmly established because the kings recorded them on inscriptions that we have found. Archaeology has discovered the year 607 recorded as the time that Nebuchadnezzar attacked and destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah. And again, when Cyrus published his decree, which means Jeremiah promised what? How many years? 70 years. And it's recorded in archaeology. How could that have happened? It's just further proof that the Bible is God's word. Now, here's where we're at in the story. The Jews have gone through 70 years of pain because they had 900 years of sin. So they sinned generation after generation and God says, I'm going to crush you. And he does. Ezra opens with Cyrus saying, God has raised me up. To bring the kingdom back. To bring Israel back into its country. To rebuild the temple. So. Last week we saw. God moves first. If you have fallen into sin. Did the Jews fall into sin? Yes. Have you fallen into sin? When you have fallen into sin, you need God to move first. 2 Timothy 2.24. 
if God perhaps might give repentance. If you have fallen into sin, what do you need? You need God to move. That's chapters one and two. And we saw last week, God did move. He began the process. God began moving. Now in chapter three, we're going to see what the men do. And the men do four things. So let's take our Bibles in chapter three and let's see what do men do when God begins to pull them back. And there will be a parallel for you. Let me ask you, have you fallen into sin? Maybe you fell into one sin this week, but generally you're trying to follow God. Maybe you've fallen into sin for hundreds of For a long period of time. If you have fallen into sin. These four stages apply to you. Let's look at them here. Look in chapter 3 verse 1. When the seventh month was come. The children of Israel were where? In the cities. And the last word of verse 1 is Jerusalem. The people were in Jerusalem. Verses 2 through 6 show us the first thing they did. I'm going to show you four steps or four stages in recovery from sin. This is what they did. Four things that they did in the passage. Verses 2 through 6 is number 1. Then 7, 8, and 9 is number 2. 10 and 11 is number 3. Open your Bibles. And then 12 and 13 is number 4. Let's see those four. Verses two through six. Then stood up Jeshua, son of Josedek, his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren. And they built the altar of God, the God of Israel. And what did they do on it? They offered burnt offerings. Verses two through six shows us they obeyed the law of God. At the end of verse 2, do you see it says, as it is written in the law? Do you see? As it is written where? In the law. When they first decided that they would return, they had to obey the law. In verse 3, they offer sacrifices every day. In verse 4, they return to the feasts because that was in the law of God. In verse 5, they offer feasts morning, I'm sorry, they offer sacrifices morning and evening. They want to obey the law of God completely. It's written twice. They're doing this because it's written in the law. Look down at verse 2. Do you see the phrase, in the law of God? Then look down in verse number 4. According to the custom... See that phrase? They were offering these sacrifices because God had commanded them. They offered these sacrifices because they are recorded in God's word and required of them. But notice that they offered the sacrifices in verse 2 because two godly men 
began the work. Their names are Jeshua and Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a political leader and Jeshua was a priest. In the book of Zechariah, both of these men are referred to. Zechariah lived at the same time. He was a prophet along with the priest Joshua and along with the governor or the king Zerubbabel. Zechariah came and prophesied. And if you read the book of Zechariah in chapter 3, you'll find Zechariah talking to Joshua. That's this Jeshua. In the next chapter, he talks to Zerubbabel. And that Zerubbabel is this Zerubbabel. God used these good men. Brothers and sisters, when you see a good man moving in the right direction, follow him. Zerubbabel and Jeshua began to do what's right and the rest followed them. It is not common to find a godly man in this world. The book of Job prophesying about the new covenant says a godly pastor is like one in a thousand. And if you can find one man who loves God more than money and who fears the word of God and obedience to God more than he fears man, follow that man. And here's Joshua, Jeshua and Zerubbabel leading them to obey the law of God. They realized we cannot begin to recover from our sin without returning to complete obedience. And so they restore the sacrifices. Now, what do the sacrifices mean? Why did they restore the sacrifices in verses 2 and 3 and 4? The sacrifices were the key aspect of the law of God. The sacrifices were the treatment for sin. Islam has no treatment for sin. Buddhism denies that there is sin. Hinduism denies that there is sin. Atheism denies that there is sin. Christianity, beginning with the sacrifices, said sin is such a big problem that we've got to deal with it with blood and death. And so when Zerubbabel and Jeshua want to recover them, their people from sin, what do they do? Let's offer the sacrifices again. Four things you need to know about these sacrifices. It shows the evil of sin. The sacrifices require death and blood. It shows the constant presence of sin. They have to offer sacrifices morning and evening. It shows the costly nature of sin. They had to kill cows and sheep and goats, their livelihood. It shows substitution. The animals took the place of the people. They returned to obedience to the law of God. They decided they would obey the law, even the feasts in verses 4 and 5. And notice in verse number six, the last phrase of verse number six, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They took all these religious steps before they began working. Can you imagine what the people said? 
hey, hey, uh, why are we killing these cows? We've got, to, we've got to start laying some bricks. In chapter 3, verse 1, what month of the year did they begin the offerings? The seventh month. They start in the seventh month. Look down at chapter 3, verse number 8. In chapter 3, verse 8, now in the second year of coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month. That means they went on for months and months offering those sacrifices and preparing the way before they ever got to the building. Here's the point. Jerubbabel, Zerubbabel, and Jeshua understood If we're really going to do a work for God, we don't need bricks. We need godliness. We don't need a building. We need obedience. Far more important than a beautiful building is obedience to the Bible. This week, I heard about someone whom we baptized here in this assembly. She fell away from the Lord. She broke the covenant that she had promised. And then she says, I'm going to start a church. And even though the Bible says a woman must not be a pastor, she says, oh, I'm just going to do this. Wait a minute. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to build a church. God wants us to build churches. Why don't you start before you build a church with obeying the Bible? Right? Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Did you or did you not sign the church covenant? Well, yes, I did. Then why are you breaking the church covenant? Well, well, there are these reasons. Wait, our Lord says don't lie. Our Lord says women ought not be pastors. And you're not going to worry about obedience. You're rather going to say, well, I know what the Bible says, but I've got these other reasons. God doesn't care about your other reasons. He wants you to look at the words and bow your knee in front of those words. And if you refuse to do that, He will not bless you. What does this mean for the New Testament believer? It means this. If you have fallen into sin, you need to begin by going back to the sacrifices, by going back to obedience. When they wanted to recover themselves, remember, 900 years of sin and then 70 years of punishment, and now they're going to start over. How should they start over? Let's obey the Bible and start with the sacrifices. If you really want to recover yourself, look much to the cross. Think much of Jesus dying for sinners. Think much of his work. You see, Satan is glad for you to come back and you you be religious. Yeah, come, come, come to the church. Satan hates it if you think much of the Son of God dying for sinners. That is the rock that is immovable. That is the roadblock that he says, I can't handle that. I've got to look for a shortcut. If you try to come back to God in any way other than the cross, the sacrifice, you're never going to reach restoration. Point number two, look at verse seven. They gave money also to the masons and to the carpenters. They gave food and oil. They brought trees from Lebanon In verse 8, they appoint overseers. In verse 9, again, they appoint overseers. And this takes months to arrange, as I just pointed out. Look at the month 
in verse number one and look at the month in verse number seven. This took months for them to arrange. Now, here's the point. What are they doing? Follow the story. Here they are. They're in Babylon. They take a four-month journey from Babylon, walking on foot to get back where? To get back to Jerusalem. And when they get back, what's the first thing they do? They begin offering sacrifices. They go back to the Bible and they offer the sacrifices. They say, whoa, let's pick up where we lost the trail. Like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress. When he goes off the path, he says, wait a minute. Let's trace our steps back to where we fell and let's get back on there. And so they go back. They offer the sacrifices. What's the second thing they do? They say, if we're really going to build the temple, then let's make preparation. So they get their money in order. They get their logs in order. They get their bricks in order. They say to themselves, we've got to prepare so that there will be long-term solutions. We don't want a temporary thing. We don't want a simple tent. We want a temple to God. They begin to prepare. They collect their supplies. They gather supervisors. They hire workers and laborers and managers. This would have taken a long time. In fact, it took David a number of years just to gather the supplies for the first temple. I preached a sermon on that from 1 Chronicles 29. It's still on the internet if you want to listen to it. David took a long time just gathering together all the supplies. That's what they're doing here. They're doing David's work right here, saying it's going to take a lot of money. And they reference the money there. It took not only the free will offerings of the Jews, it took a large amount of money from Cyrus. And they take time and money and organization just to get this together. Our world abuses management, administration, and planning. These verses, verses 7, 8, and 9, talk about planning or preparation or management or administration. When I went to Bible college... I took a degree in missions, which was a Bible degree, and then I studied a second program, and it was called business management. I learned a lot in that program. It was very helpful. Our world makes three errors, at least, regarding business management, administration, planning. Let me mention those to you. Guard yourself from these three errors. The world sometimes neglects to plan. What's the Tsonga word for administrate? What's the Shangan word for management? What's the Tsonga word for future? All we have is Munduk. You see, Satan doesn't want people to think about managing and administrating and planning. He doesn't want us to plan for the future. The first error is some people don't think about, well, we're going to need a road here. No, 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 not just a road. In 20 years' time, this road is going to have 2,000 cars per day. The Bible would have us plan and prepare. The world doesn't do that. Number two, second error of the world. They steal the money that should be gathered together for the future. You see what these people were doing in verses 7, 8, and 9? 
They had to gather together this massive amount of money in order to build the temple. But just like with Josiah, the people did not lie. What happens today when there's a government tender? Why do the roads fall apart? The road to Vuani, I traveled it just yesterday, going out to Malamulele. It's destroyed. Why is it destroyed in only 10 years' time? It shouldn't be destroyed. Why are the roads commonly in the rural areas full of holes? Why? Because when that road was made, they put aside money to do it, but someone came in and took extra money. Wicked, evil, foolish management, planning, administrative practices. Number three, some people speak too much about management, administration, and planning. Some people make a god of it. I think that's America. If some people in Africa don't plan and don't administrate, some people in America tend to make that almost like a god. They think, I can build a church just on management principles. I can pass out a paper. What would you like to see in a church? Give me your answers and I'll build my church. Oh, you want contemporary music? I'll hire a band. One large church in, Lewis, um, in New York City with thousands of members. The pastor's written books and has been published in the New York Times. That man said, we hire unsaved musicians to come and play for our church. It's published in a book. I can show you where he said it. Furthermore, he said, we have sometimes hired homosexual musicians because they're the best musicians we could find. Do you think God is going to bless that? When you say, I've made such a, an idol out of management and planning. I know that people love music and I know what will happen. If I give them the very best music, I'll get a big church. Did that man get a big church? Oh, thousands of people. Thousands of people. And his books are so popular. You might know him if I told you his name. And yet he has fallen into the error of saying, rather than following a biblical pattern of planning and managing and administrating and preparing, rather than doing that, I've made it so large that it's become an idol. Some churches have done that with a Christian school. They say, our kids need training. We need to reach the area. Let's start a Christian school. Wonderful. Good planning. Good preparation. Good management. Good administration. But pretty soon, the school gets bigger than the. And then you've got to keep the school open. So you make decisions about the church that maybe they're not quite what you want to do. But you have to do it because you need money to keep the school open. Three errors that we need to guard against with planning management, administration, and preparation. Some people never think about it. Some people try it, but they steal the whole time. And some people make a God out of management. Verses seven, eight, and nine, these people were wise. They were planners. They were preparers. How can Christians apply this Today, friends, when you have fallen into sin, you need to make full preparations to return to Christ. If you've fallen, don't just return with a quick, I'm sorry. 
I'm thinking right now of a young person, one of the church plants we started. He fell into sin. And then when we rebuked him, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he came back to the church and stood in front of the church and said, yeah, I'm so sorry I fell. I I need to repent. I wonder, did you really plan and really cut out all the sin in your life? Or did you return a little too quickly? Did you really make preparation so that you'll be a godly man for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years? How can we use these verses, 7, 8, and 9? I want to urge you, make plans right now, Nao, so that you will be a godly man when you have gray hair. Make plans right now, Stevens, so that you will be a godly man when you can't walk anymore. Make godly plans now, Callie, so that you will be a godly woman when, you've got, when your children have children. Prepare, because it's not a sprint. We're not running 100 meters. We've got to run a comrades marathon. And it's 70 or 80 or 90 years long. Prepare. If you've fallen into sin, don't think to yourself, I'll just jump back. Take time to prepare so you can make it to the end. Prepare to move your schedule. Maybe you need to change what time you get up. Oh, that's too hard. I know it's hard. But if you really want to make it to the end, maybe you need to change what time you get up or what time you go to bed. Maybe you need to change friendships or purchasing habits. When I was single in Chicago, I found that one road that I drove on commonly had a billboard with indecent women. So I decided not to drive on that road, even though I needed that road, and it saved me a lot of time. But I thought to myself, I know where I'm weak. I think I'm just going to take another road because if I go on that road, I'm going to be tempted and I don't want to fall even before I'm married. Brothers and sisters, it might require change. It's going to require some kind of preparation. And that's what he's talking about here. Prepare to move your schedule. Prepare to redirect your paths. In other words, Romans 13 verse 14 Make no provision for your flesh. You've got to know you. Are you a weak man? Are you a man who says, yeah, 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 I'll do that. But then you fall. I'm like that. Then plan right now so that you can avoid that danger. Are you the kind of person who in January says, well, this coming year, I'm going to do this and this and this. Well, we're all like that. Make plans now so that you will be able to succeed. Make the preparations so you can actually make it to the end. Number three, look in verses 10 and 11. Number three, verses 10 and 11. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their clothing with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of King David of Israel. Wow. They prepared for the event. They brought out trumpets. They brought out cymbals. They brought out voices. Trumpets are the melody. Cymbals are the rhythm. The voices might be the harmony. Music is three things. Melody, rhythm, harmony. Drums by themselves aren't music. I don't know if you can have, can you have a, well, a piano is a percussion too. Piano is, is a melody, but it's also got the rhythm. 
You got to have those three elements in order to have music, melody, harmony, and rhythm. And here we've got it. And notice this in verse number 11. My Bible says they sang together. Does your Bible say they sang reciprocally? Responsively? It means back and forth. I wonder if that means harmony. I looked at that Hebrew word. It might mean they sang in harmony. Maybe the men singing the low parts and others singing the high parts. This was a practiced, organized, dignified, beautiful choir. They not only obeyed the law, they not only made the preparations, but when they got done with the foundation, they said, let's stop. Let's have a bit of a ceremony. And when the priests come, we want them to dress a certain way. And when they dress a certain way, we want them to practice with their trumpets. (coughs) Excuse me. I once heard someone in church say, a man and a woman stood up to sing at the church that I grew up in. And they were just normal people in the church and they wanted to sing. And they came up and they said, well, you all pray for us. We haven't practiced very much. And then they went on to sing. And I could tell when they sang, yeah, these people didn't practice. (laughs) And I thought, why did they get up to sing? I don't know what was in their heart. But did they offer something really beautiful? No. (laughs) These people in Ezra chapter 3 verses 10 and 11, they said, let's offer something beautiful. So they practiced with their trumpets. They practiced with their cymbals. They practiced with their, they arranged their clothing. They arranged their choir. They sang and practiced. Okay, now, oh, when the first group is done, then the second group. And then the second group, you come high. Second group, you come low. Like the hallelujah chorus with Handel. This group is beautiful art. Their art was rooted in the past. Noticed in verse number 10. What's the reference to history in verse 10? Look in verse 10. Look, look, look. What's the reference to history? The directions of who? David was 500 years earlier. 400 years earlier. They looked back 400 years to find the way David did the singing. Have you looked in our book? We have songs going back 1,400 years from today. We want the very best from God's church in the past. These people, when they sang, they did not say, give me the best, greatest, newest song that all the young people love. They said, no, 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 no. Look way back in our history. Look back to the best king that we had. In our songbook, the reason we chose the songs that we chose, we're saying to ourselves, we want to find the best writers, the best Christians, the high points of the church. In this songbook, we have Anglicans. That's John Newton. We have Congregationalists. That's Isaac Watts. We have Baptists. That's John Bunyan. We might even have a few Waldensians in here from the persecuted church. We want the times when, the, when the, the church was at its revival. That's when we want to sing and worship and copy and imitate. We don't want to imitate some warehouse down the road building 28. 
Yeah, yeah, we're so cool. We have all the 31-year-olds. We have all the 25-year-olds. We're not interested in being cool. We want to be Christ-like. These people looked back in history and said, now if we're really going to recover ourselves, let's start with obeying the law. Let's move on and prepare so that we won't fall away. And then let's look back in history. Let's find the very best of the very best. Let's practice for a long time. And when it comes time to saying thank you, we're going to give back the very best that God had to offer. Brothers and sisters in the Christian church, we apply that this way. When we come to worship in a Christian church, let's give the very best we have to offer. We don't tell you what to wear. We don't tell you how to act. But we do tell you this. Bring the best. Don't bring the damaged calf. Don't bring the sheep that is weak and sickly. You bring your own spirit and heart and soul that is the best. You prepare so that your mind and heart are fresh and ready. Give God the highest of your art. Well, there are many comments we can make here about singing and music, about architecture and speech and poetry. We have a responsibility to offer serious, dignified, historic art to God. Serious, dignified, historic. We are not trying to be American. We are not trying to be Western. We are certainly not trying to be African or Chinese or American. We want serious, dignified, historic because that is what God deserves. And that's the final point in the sermon. The final point in the text. Look down in verses 12 and 13. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy. Oh, I, I should preach the whole sermon in these two verses. Let me just make a few brief comments. Remember, the temple was destroyed in 586. 607 was the first deportation, but 586, the temple was destroyed. It's now 538, 50 years later. Some of the men who are there were probably 16-year-old boys, and they're now 66. They remember at 16, watching as the Babylonian soldiers came in and destroyed Solomon's temple. And they're now 66 years old. They're now 75. And they were 19. They were 20 years old, 25 years old when they saw the original destruction of the temple. And now, though their hair is gray and their back is bent, they're looking up saying, we thank God, but oh, look at what happened. Look at how far we've fallen And they wept. Let me ask you, what's the right response when you come back from sin? Should it be weeping? Oh, yes, it should be. You should weep over the years that you threw away with the world. You should weep and say, I wasted it. Nao, now is the time to come to Christ. Carson, now is the time to be a believer. Your dad's lost 30 years. You've got it. Give it to God every minute of it. If you give your life to Christ as a nine-year-old, you can serve him for 70 years. If you give your, Christ a light, your life to Christ as a 60-year-old, what have you got left? Ten? Marius served God for a year. You might serve him for 60. 
It is time to weep when you come back to God and say, look what I've done. I've wasted all of this. Like they wasted everything. But it's also a time for what? Remember, there's two responses. Some of them did what? They wept. What did the other people do? They rejoiced. Coming back to God is a time for joy because God moved. You should be laughing and singing and rejoicing because God moved first. You should be weeping because you made a mess of it. How do you do that? Every time we take the Lord's table, we are trying to blend those two together. Where are you at spiritually? This week you fell. I don't know how. I don't know what's in your heart. This week you sinned, maybe even this morning. Some of you have sinned for years and you're not even born again yet. How do you recover after sin? Just start with obeying the Bible. Make preparations. Give to God the very best, historic, serious, dignified art. Give Him the best you've got. And then give an emotional response with both tears and joy. Oh, Father, we pray for grace and blessing and strength today. May the word of God be powerful in our souls. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.